Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is our text for this morning, verses 1 through 12, 9, 1 through 12. I invite you to turn there with me. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word and a fitting word for us this morning. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears as, is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, but the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going." Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Well, we all were eager for 2021 to get here. And 10 days in, it's not going very well. We need some good news, don't we? In the swirling morass of our times, with its vitriol and confusion and bewilderment, this passage offers the perspective we need. But first, Solomon has us contemplating some things that may not be very comfortable to contemplate, like the vanity of life or the limitations of humanity or the certainty of death. It's, it's not going to be a comfortable for a few minutes as we contemplate these things that Solomon is calling us to, com to contemplate. And I want to look at two things today, the human condition and the human reaction. 
and that is the human reaction to the human condition. But, you know, after we get through some of these things, these preliminaries, we will find some really great news and perspective that we are thirsty for in these days. Well, let's first look at the human condition as Solomon lays it out for us this morning. Now, the previous chapter that we looked at last week commended wisdom to us. said wisdom is a great thing to have and we need wisdom. But he also pointed out that wisdom cannot tell you everything. There's a limit to human wisdom. Look at chapter 8, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So even the wisest person, like Solomon himself, cannot know all that God is doing under the sun, what his plans and purposes are, and what his will is. We're only, we only have a limited understanding of that in the grand scheme of things. Now, not only can the wisest person not know everything that, as God does, but verse 1 of chapter 9 tells us that the wise and the righteous person has no control over life. Verse 1 tells us that their deeds are in the hand of God. And this means that no one can know the outcome of our actions and circumstances. Only God knows. The second sentence of verse 1 is very difficult to interpret because of the ambiguous pronouns. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. So there's a couple of questions that are begged by this sentence. Is this talking about God's love or hate or mankind's love or hate? To what does the pronoun it refer? You know, whether it is love or hate, it's vague. Is the him at the end, both are before him, is that before God or, or before man? So there's a lot of questions surrounding this verse. And you can take the, the sentence several ways when you come to interpret it. But the most important phrase, and, and really the gist of what he's saying here, doesn't change. And it is in the, the most unvague part of it that man does not know. Man does not know. No one knows the future or how things will work out. Sometimes the best laid plans of mice and men go awry, as the saying goes. Sometimes there are positive, unintended consequences to our actions. We might say, oh, we were lucky. But only God knows because he is the one who has decided it. He is sovereign over everything. Look at Joseph. Joseph certainly had no idea that when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, then falsely accused and thrown in prison and forgotten, that the outcome of that, all of those events in his life, would be that he would quickly be elevated to the position of second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. He had no idea that all these circumstances would end up saving his family and God's people. His deeds were in the hand of the Lord. The deeds of his brothers and Potiphar's wife who falsely accused him were in the hands of the Lord. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph points out, 
His brothers may have meant evil for Joseph, but the Lord turned it into good. So our lives are filled with uncertainty and we have no control over our lives or very little control over our lives. We have no clue what tomorrow might bring. One person's life passes in a string of relatively uneventful days. Another person has a lifetime of never-ending drama. And most of us live somewhere between those two extremes. Life is unpredictable. We can't know what tomorrow will bring. And that's frightening, isn't it, in a way? So this is the first part of the human condition that Solomon points out to us. We live an uncertain life. We live an uncertain life. But on the other hand, as Solomon points out, there is something that is certain for everyone, and that is death. We face an uncertain life, but a certain death. There's a one-in-one chance that we're going to die unless the Lord comes back and takes us. Verse 2 and 3 point out that it doesn't matter whether a person is righteous or wicked, good or evil, clean or unclean, religious or not, principled or not, no matter what the case may be, everyone will die. Look at verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Death is an evil. God did not create the world to include death. In the Garden of Eden, there was no death. Death entered the world because of the sin of Adam when they ate the forbidden fruit. And now death touches everyone without exception. Some people believe that death is part of life. Now, that's absurd. Death is the end of life in a biological sense. I read this statement online, which I vehemently disagree with. Everything must have its end or there is no beginning. Death is not the opposite of life, but the counterpart to birth. Death is beautiful because it represents change. Well, that sounds all so romantic, doesn't it? But death is not beautiful. Ask anyone who's actually facing death. It is the enemy of humanity. It is an ugly stain on the history of mankind. That's why Solomon says it is an evil in all that is done under the sun. And it's a terrible thing that this same event happens to all. Death is certain. So that's the human condition, not a rosy picture. Solomon describes for us here this human condition, and he sums it up in verses 11 and 12. Look at verse 11, where he describes the uncertainty of life. I saw that the, under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, red to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Now you've all seen the truth of what he's saying here. The fastest person doesn't always win the race. The best team doesn't always win. Sometimes the underdog wins. And just because you have a stronger army, that doesn't guarantee a victory over the enemy. History is littered with examples of that. 
Wisdom, intelligence, and, and knowledge do not guarantee prosperity or popularity. You can be wise and intelligent and be very poor and be hated. Time and chance happens to them all, Solomon says. In other words, time rolls on and life happens. And that word chance there means occurrence, a happening, an event that happens, implying that it may be a random occurrence or have an appearance of chance. Though there's no such thing as chance. It's all under God's control. But from our perspective, as Solomon is trying to help us to see under the sun without reference to God, from our perspective, life is just random and uncertain. And death is certain. Life goes on. No one knows what will happen. In fact, even that which you think is likely to happen doesn't always happen. Nothing is certain or guaranteed. And verse 12 brings death into the equation. The day of death is uncertain, just like life is, but it is inevitable. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. No one can predict the day of death, the day when this unpredictable life will come to an end. So Solomon has us staring down into the abyss of our human condition. And you might think the intent of this passage is for Solomon to make us very depressed. And it is depressing when you look at it from that perspective that Solomon is giving us. But look at verse 4. He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Those living have hope. They know that they will die, and that knowledge helps them to live wisely. Solomon wants us to see the human condition. He wants us to stare at this uncertain life, this certain death, and the disturbing nature of it. He wants us to look it full in the face so that we can have the proper human reaction. How do we look at this problem that we have and how do we properly react? And that's the second thing we want to look at today, the human reactions. Now let's think for a few moments about how people typically react to the human condition, an uncertain life and a certain death. Well, the most common reaction is to not think about it at all. Who wants to think about these things? If you really want to ruin a party, start talking about death and funerals. They'll ask you to leave. No one likes to think about death or dwell on all the possible negative events that might happen in life. So we distract ourselves. People in America pass their days in trivial pursuits and being entertained, binge-watching Netflix, spending hours on Facebook, looking at other people's lives, playing Candy Crush or some other inane game on your phone. I'm guilty of that, but I did delete it this week, so step in the right direction. Or we're consumed by various sports, distracting ourselves. As Neil Postman said in his 1985 book, he, he entitled it, Amusing ourselves to death. We're amusing ourselves to death. That's a book that needs to be uh, revisited 
And uh, just reading some of the quotes, it's very, uh, very pertinent to our times. Here's one quote just to whet your appetite and maybe get you to go buy the book. When a population, he wrote this in 1985, by the way. When a population becomes distracted by trivia, when cultural life is redefined as a perpetual round of entertainments, when serious public conversation becomes a form of baby talk, looking at you, Twitter, when in short a people become an audience and their public business a vaudeville act, then a nation finds itself at risk. Culture death is a clear possibility. It was a bit prophetic so long ago. And there's more from in that book as well that would be interesting to us today. Well, to ignore the human condition, to amuse ourselves to death or to distract ourselves from thinking about these deeper things is foolish living. It's not wise. We've seen it in Psalm 90 that I prayed through this morning. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wise living is looking at the fact that we have a limited number of days on this earth and we don't know the limit of that day. And we don't know what that, those days will be like. So Solomon wants us to stare down into the abyss of the human condition. But let's remember what Solomon is doing in this book. He is showing us the vanity, the emptiness, and the futility of life under the sun lived without reference to God. If there's no God in the picture, then life is vanity, futility. It's empty. It's nothing. It's a breath that goes away. Solomon wants us to look at life without God so that we will look to God. Because without God, contemplating the human condition is nothing but depressing. Life is toilsome, unfair, random, and come, come, can come to an abrupt end at any moment. And this is vanity, Solomon tells us, as we have seen over the past nine chapters. Faced with this life without God, we can only become, if we think about it, if we actually don't ignore it and start thinking about it without reference to God, we look at it, we're going to become either nihilistic, that nothing matters, life is meaningless and pointless, or become cynical, where we think, what is the point of anything at all? Or, to go in the other direction, to become completely hedonistic. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Let's party while we have the chance. Well, if there's no God, then these are your options. You can ignore the whole matter altogether. You can walk in willful ignorance or become a very dark and depressed individual. Or you can spend your days whistling past the graveyard. But Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. He wants you to get a heart of wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. To acknowledge God, to recognize God, to deeply respect God in all things, to have an awe of Him. He is pointing out the vanity of this life so that you will lift your eyes to the Lord. 
Now we, on the other side of the cross, and, and Christ's resurrection have even more light. He's pointing us to God, but he didn't know about Jesus coming and, and, the, and the crucifixion and the resurrection and those events that happened. Those who repent of their sin and put their faith in the Lord have some assurances, don't we? We live in an uncertain life, yes, but we can rest assured that whatever happens, whatever happens, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose for His people because He loves them. He is favorably inclined to them. See, we are in His hands. And yes, our lives may be short. Our lives may be full of trouble. But God has a purpose and a plan for those lives. He has us in His hands and whatever He's apportioned to us in this life, however short or long it might be, is from His hand and is for our good and His glory. And we can trust that. And we know that He's favorably, dis uh, uh, favorably disposed to us from what it tells us in the Scriptures. God shows His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. You know, He cares so much. He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's not a capricious God to his people. He's a loving God. And yes, our lives may seem random, uncertain, but God is in control of it all and He loves us and cares for us. He may take us through difficult times, but there's many reasons He might do so for, for us to lean more upon Him and trust more in Him. We know, yes, we all face an uncertain life, but we know that the author of life, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, the one who is the bread of life, holds our lives in the palm of of his hands. And furthermore, we face an uncertain death, even as believers. But we're not just food for worms. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. See, this life is not all there is. Eternal life has been secured for the one who trusts in the Lord. And it's a lot longer than this brief life that we have. And it's, a, and it's beyond our imaginations how wonderful it will be to be out of the presence of sin and its consequences. See, this is what Solomon is pointing us to, though he didn't know about the cross and the resurrection. He's pointing us to the Lord, that we can trust in the Lord in the midst of our uncertain lives facing an uncertain death. So what does Solomon tell us to do in the meantime as we live this life? Look at verse 7. Go, eat your bread with joy 
and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to which you are going. Now this is not eat and drink for tomorrow we die. No, this is seeing that God, who is who has our deeds in his hands, has given us a portion in life. That's what it says there in verse 9. That is your portion in life. You know, a portion. It's, it's your helping. You know, when you, <clears throat> when you have a birthday and uh, there's a cake there and you're the birthday boy or girl and, you know, you're, you get the first slice, right? It's your portion. Maybe you like to part with all the icing. Uh, I'm not a big icing. Maybe you want the corner piece that gives extra icing. I'm not big on that part, but, you know, we, we want what we want. You know, we get, we get our portion. Well, God has given us a portion. He, he's given us a, a life that is as long as he has decreed it to be. We don't know the quantity of it, nor do we know the quality of it. We might be portioned out a life that is difficult. We might be portioned out a life that is easy. Most of us, some a little, little bit of both. But God has given us a portion in his kindness and goodness to us. He has laid it out for us for our good and his glory. So what Solomon is saying here is that Enjoy the portion of life that God has given you. Don't spend your days distracting yourself from thinking about the deeper things in life. Don't live depressed lives. Don't live hedonistic lives. But live before the face of your good God. And eat your bread with joy. See, he's given it to you. It's a gift from him. Drink your wine with a merry heart. Now, this doesn't say, is not saying to overindulge. Sometimes we treat drink and, and wine and our relationships and our jobs as if they can truly satisfy us and save us. You know, why do people turn to the bottle? Because they find what they need to be looking to God for. They find some peace and comfort, though it's severely lacking and is more destructive than anything else. Why do people become gluttons? Uh, you know, it's comfort food. We should be looking to God for our comfort. So this is not eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is God has blessed you with a life. He's promised you a future. And no matter what you endure in your life, there are some good things to be enjoyed in their proper place. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. You know, to wear dark garments or black garments is mourning. You know, you put ashes on your head. He's saying don't go around mourning about the human condition, about the certainty of death, but in the portion of life that you have, be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord who has saved you, who has promised you an eternity 
a hope for the future. And in the meantime, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol, the place of the dead, to which you are going. In other words, you've got a limited amount of time. Do something good. God has given you work to do. Do that work. Don't spend your time doing things that are trivial. Yes, we all need a vacation. We all need a break sometimes. I'm not condemning Candy Crush completely, you know, but in moderation. Or anything else. We need to take a break sometimes. Even Jesus rested. So we need to have some times of rest, but we need to have a purpose and a goal and a job and work to do. Before the Lord, there are gifts of God to us to be enjoyed before his face because we have this wonderful future for us. When Martin Luther was asked, you know, what would he do if he, if he knew that this was his last day on earth? And he said, I would go and plant an apple tree. And I think what he's saying, and I'm not sure that that statement is really true. It's an apocryphal story, perhaps. I'm not 100% sure if that's uh, from a reliable source or not. But, uh, you know, he would live his life is what the point he's making. He would do something good. He would plant a tree. And maybe perhaps it would be there in the new heavens and new earth, glorified in some way that he couldn't even imagine. But the point is, we've been given a life, and let's live it for the glory of God because he's done so much for us. He loves us and he cares for us and he has plans for us, a hope and a future, as he told the children of Israel in Jeremiah. Pray today that the Lord would encourage you as we navigate these difficult times to look at our lives. Uh, what would it look like for us to eat and drink and relate to one another uh, and to work always before the face of our Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He sent His Son to die for us? To constantly have that in mind as we approach all the little mundane things in life, eating, drinking, living, working, so forth. Think about that and let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to be drawn closer to you, to walk in a closer relationship with you, uh, to eat and drink with joy in our hearts, knowing that you have saved us. We have nothing to worry about. Uh, Lord, you have our lives in your hands and you have given us a hope and a future. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that anybody who doesn't know that who's never really come to know you and who's never turned to you, that, Lord, you would, as we sung today, that, that we, they would taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray, Lord, that you would help us all to shun the trivial, the distractions, and to be serious about our lives. And how can we live our lives for your glory and for the good of others. Lord, guide and direct us. Help us to contemplate these things further and work them out in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.